0: Welcome to episode number 90 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today, we've got Dr. Lisa Lewis. Lisa is a licensed psychologist, and she works within the fitness industry and outside of it with fitness professionals and and as an educator to help us with learning more about psychology, working with our clients. Uh, We talk about how psychology is becoming more and more of a focus within our fitness industry with the work that we're doing. we also talk about social media addiction. She's also a certified addictions counselor. So we get into more depth there and about negativity bias, what it is and the proper ratio of saying nice things to your wife versus getting away with bad things. Um, A, what is it? A shit Big Mac. Anyway. So you'll find out more about what that's all about. Uh, Stay tuned. And we'll be mentioning this every week now Uh, and September 14th and 15th, we are running the Canadian strike symposium in Edmonton, Alberta, and that brings together a long list of fitness professionals, mostly Canadian, uh, including but not limited to Dean Somerset, Lee Boyce, Uh, we're bringing Greg Knuckles up from the U.S., Lee Peel, and a whole bunch more names, so check it out, we have a website, it's linked all over our social media, and we really want to blow this event out of the water and bring an event like this, one of its kind, to Canada, because we just don't get events like this. So stay tuned and enjoy the episode. Shut up and sit down. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we've got Dr. Lisa Lewis, and she's a licensed psychologist, certified addictions counselor, uh who's been stepping more and more into the fitness industry uh to educate fitness professionals, kind of help us get a little bit better with our clients. So welcome, Lisa.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: So a little bit of background on this. So uh Lisa and I met just well, a couple of weeks ago in yep. Kansas City, and she was a presenter at the Kansas City Fitness Summit. <laughs> A surprising number of our guests have been speakers at the, the events that I get to travel to. And so your presentation was was pretty much the one that sort of had the buzz and everybody was talking about because you're a little bit new. And a lot of people actually know who you are. You have a connection to the industry, which we'll talk about. But, you know, a lot of people were pretty blown away with what they were hearing and seeing because for a very long time in our industry, we get a lot of what I think is still pop psychology, you know, pop mm-hmm. psychology books. And we do have people who are very, very good with their understanding and knowledge. Uh, we'll use Kelly Coffee, for example. Kelly's been a guest a couple of times. I know you and Kelly hit it off, and Kelly deals extensively with addictions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and Kelly comes from both a, a, pers- a rich personal place, of her own experiences, but a place where she's educated herself and it does good work with, with her clients. But I think we also probably have a, far too many people running around who are saying or doing things that maybe they're not qualified to do. So... I don't know what your thoughts are on that.
2: He's saying you're qualified to start off with, I'm guessing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am a a licensed psychologist. I've basically, you know, by trade, I'm a therapist. So I've been practicing counseling or psychotherapy with all kinds of people since about 2003. And, you know, my focus or what population I've worked with over those years has changed. But essentially, you know, my doctoral work is in counseling psychology with a focus on sport, exercise, and kind of executive coaching. So working with people who want to take good to great, not just kind of correct a mental illness, but take something that's going well and make it really flourish. Um, and so I am familiar with the kind of the spectrum of mental health from, from doing, you know, really bad to kind of doing really fabulous and, and how to take yourself up you know, one level or, or one notch. But, um, you know, to answer your question, you know, what are my thoughts or my feelings about people in the fitness industry addressing psychological aspects of their work? I think it's fabulous because it creates the space for us to acknowledge how important psychology is in training. And I would argue that once you have the basics, you know, as fitness professionals or as people who love fitness, once you have the basics of stability, mobility, you know, how to do exercise programming, how to execute exercises, really what is going to separate you from others or what's going to progress you in your training is psychological. And if you're a fitness professional and you train other people, what is going to help you to get your clients, keep your clients and keep your clients improving is the psychology part of it. It's knowing how to communicate, how to negotiate, how to interact, how to motivate. Um, So I'm just glad that there's this space that's opening up in the industry to talk about these things. And whether you're using, you know, evidence-based research or you're using your own anecdotal information, I think it's all movement in the right direction.
0: That makes a ton of sense because every trainer has had that one client out of every 20 that's perfectly adherent will do everything that you're saying dean looks kind of freaked out so sorry no me. my facebook was just uh on and people were messaging me
2: and i was like why is the ding coming on but he, he he looked like the entire thing had crashed and we lost the
0: episode so we didn't lose the good. episode i wanted, not um, i wouldn't even so, so we get okay you get that adherent client a lot of athletes can sometimes be like that yeah and they'll do everything you say and then the results are great but most everybody else uh, i work with a lot of people, variety of different things, but a lot of people who are brand new to gyms, they're intimidated by it. So there's a lot of, as you said, psychology that goes into making that person feel really comfortable. Yes. And a lot of the stuff has to do with early habit uh, formation to get them into a different lifestyle. Well,
2: and the reason why I wanted to talk, well, even what popped up in my head was when all the, when the playing field is level in terms of skill, like we look at high level professional sports um, and college sports is like pretty much everyone's good the next level is, is kind of has been that sports psychology aspect. And that's, I don't want to say it's new, but like people are investing real money into that. And that might be some insight into the layperson on like, if these guys are doing it at this level, there's probably something you can pull out at our level at, in terms of the end user. And so it's kind of cool to see that it's growing and that trainers are um, welcoming it because there is a huge component to just even psychology of a day-to-day lifting.
1: Yes. Absolutely. I think across the board, we're seeing a destigmatization of, you know, mental health and talking about psychology, acknowledging that psychology and mood and the way we feel and who we are as people, our personalities have an influence on day-to-day lives. Um, I think, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, mental health wasn't a thing or talking to a mental health professional was for somebody who was quote unquote crazy. Whereas now we see applications in all kinds of fields and whether you're well, or if you're suffering from some kind of illness, it's becoming more and more acceptable to talk about it and to talk to someone who is a professional about it. And the most salient example I can think of, particularly in fitness is behavioral economics. You know, we've seen, you've talked about like psychological books, um, about behavioral change and behavioral economics really in authors like, um, Dan Arelli and Malcolm Gladwell and other authors like that are really taking psychological constructs and they are applying them to how people make choice, what they're driven by, how they can change their habits. You know, so this is psychology that is evidence based for the masses. Um, And so there's a myriad of applications for us in fitness as well.
0: Like you know, Ariely is amazing. I read a whole bunch of his stuff. Uh, yeah. Daniel Kahneman would be the, the, the grandfather of behavioral yeah. economics and Thinking Fast and Slow is a book that. Well, Dean and I have talked about this before. I think it's something that people should move on to, but it's probably essential reading for trainers. Well, it's, right. and it's insanely difficult to read. Um, but even, <laughs> but like those other books
2: you're talking about, even for like if I think about people who have come to me and or like even friends, like oh, I read this book and it like made a huge change. Like, that's all they're talking about. Like, they're just making it super simple to grasp onto, but it's the evidence base behind that that is distilled in that simple message, but it really does help people.
1: Absolutely. it Providing education, providing information for people helps them to buy in and get on board. Yeah. And when we talk about adherence and persistence in exercise behaviors, we want people to have a million reasons why. Not just to start it, but to continue it over time. And the more you know, the bigger we can make that arsenal, the more reasons we can add to the list or the more motivations we can beef the person up with, the more likely it is that they're going to engage in some kind of physical activity. You know, for me, my goal is three days a week, 52 weeks out of the year, you know, over time. And if a person is engaged in physical activity in some way, whether it be getting in the gym or playing a sport, what have you, um, you know, the details are going to work themselves out. Um, And the motivation is going to develop because hopefully they're going to get into some kind of rhythm where they start getting stronger and getting better and enjoying feeling confident and competent in whatever that activity is they're doing.
0: I think a lot of good coaches kind of arrive at this stuff instinctively and very naturally.
1: I agree. I agree. Uh,
0: And they just figure this stuff out. I don't know if you are you familiar with Chad Landers?
1: I, I know of him. I've I've probably read a few things that he's written, but I've never met him
0: uh, Chad is a friend and he's uh, an LA-based trainer. He owns his own facility mm-hmm. just in mm-hmm. North Hollywood. And this guy is pretty legendary for you know, long-term client relationships and and just, just being a, a positive relationship guy. And I think he's just one of these people. I th- I'm pretty sure he studied a lot of this stuff over time, but I just mm-hmm. have a feeling that he's someone who arrived at a lot of this stuff naturally. But I guess where you come in, especially is maybe for the people who it's just, it's not necessarily like supernatural and instinctive for them, but they're really working hard to educate themselves and to be better and help their clients.
1: I, I see myself as being able to be useful across a pretty broad spectrum. One of the reasons that I love working with fitness professionals in particular is that I do think that folks with experience come, come with a toolkit already. So People who are training people do have counseling skills. They do have interviewing skills. They know how to read people, how to respond to people, how to kind of do the dance, so to speak, of helping people, meeting them where they're at. So I do think that a lot of fit pros come with a pretty good skill set. What I have to offer is providing support and psychological consultation um, to try to help them see maybe where the blind spots are or where triggers are in their work that can lead to frustration, burnout, um, turnover, you know, losing clients, the things that could be getting in the way psychologically, um, and then how to enhance the toolkit that they already have. I think strength building is an orientation in psychology and it's an orientation in fitness, so, you know, building on the things that you do well, um, so I think that is one way that I've really loved helping fit for fitness professionals. And then there are newer people who are just coming in who want to know like what to read and, and you know how to kind of build some basic skills. Um, but I think there's never a wrong place in the spectrum to add on to what you've got so far.
0: Well, we're already way off script, but we'll get out to the good stuff, but it just sort of occurred <laughs> that we didn't even think about this part is yeah. to what degree are you actually working with fitness professionals for their own, you know. mental health their own stuff because we've certainly we've we've been here a long time we know this industry we've talked to a lot of people mm-hmm. there are prominent people who've talked about their own issues struggles with depression i can think mm-hmm. of several examples off the top of my head mm-hmm. and it's something that we sometimes pretend like this stuff isn't there and people look at us like oh we're supposed to have it all figured out so any thoughts on you know kind of your work with the, the people who are helping other people to take care? Yeah.
1: Of them. Yeah. So there's some different ways in which I help people who are trainers or fitness professionals. One way, the most straightforward way is by providing professional consultation. So what I mean by that is talking to a nutrition coach, a wellness coach, a personal trainer, a strength coach in a one-to-one session. That's typically online because the people could be anywhere. And what we're doing is having a pretty focused session on that individual's work, who their clientele is, and then what it is, you know what their what their issues are, what their roadblocks are, where their like growing edges are. So, for example, I recently did, I think, a series of three consultations with a trainer out in um, the Midwest, and she was kind of building her business from a, nu- a nutrition coaching standpoint. So the strength coaching stuff was going awesome. The nutrition coaching was bringing in some clients who really it was tricky to to work with. Um, and so she was getting frustrated. She was not understanding why they weren't being compliant with their meal plans and other things like that. And so we had some sessions focused on what were the things that the clients were doing or not doing, saying or not saying that was causing her to feel frustrated. And how could we troubleshoot that? So, the first session, we identify the problem, make a plan. The second session, we talked about how things are going, tweak that plan, talk more about kind of some of her background and some of the issues that were like loaded issues for her. You know, some clients that were really pushing buttons for her. And then the third session was just kind of a what was effective and then what is she going to take with her moving forward. Another example is um, a nutrition coach that I've uh, started working with more recently who, you know, is talking about working with clients who are not honest about what's on their food log and why would they be paying money and, you know, kind of driving themselves crazy for years, uh, trying to lose weight, but not being honest with their coach. And that that's really frustrating. And, um, that coach feels pretty stuck about that. So we're just talking about what it is that he brings to the table that makes that such a loaded aggravating issue for him how to deal with the client, and then how he can kind of tweak how he's interacting with the client and thinking about the client to improve his performance. So that's one way that I work with fitness professionals. Um, I also do in services and workshops with staff. So I've gone into gyms that have say, anything from like three staff to 15 staff and done like a two or three hour workshop on something they want to talk about. Um, So that could be motivation, it could be professional boundaries, it could be working with negative thinking. And then finally, I do have a private practice. So I do have a few private clients who are fitness professionals, but also have mental health issues like depression or generalized anxiety. So there is the fitness professional part of it. And they want to work with somebody who's familiar with that world, but also they have a mental health issue.
2: Well, and all I can think about is efficiency when you're talking about even dealing with clients because we've had business coach stuff talking about like, you can be efficient here and efficient there, but even efficient with your energy um, in which you give the clients that are more difficult and and how you approach that seems like something that would be pretty valuable. I can even think of like, I can think of stuff off the top of my head and even people that I've come in contact with where like strategies like that would help them not get frustrated with the job they're doing. Cause it's not all bad. Like it's just how they approach it. I'm sure is kind of where you dive down into it.
1: Absolutely. And there are some clients, like you said, there are clients that you know, require very little energy because they adhere and they love it and they're into it. There's there's other clients that need a lot, and there's some clients who will literally suck the life out of you yeah. if you allow them to. And so, it's very important as a as a helping professional that you are in touch with that energy. How, how you know what what different clients need or what they're asking for, and how you can either give that or keep that. Um, how you can sort of shift how you're working with that client, not only to reserve, preserve your own energy, but also to get the best out of that client. Because some clients, you know, who complain and who are negative the whole session, they actually need that to get shut down so they can get focused on their workout. Um, they may need some of what they're saying to be ignored so they can, so they can mm-hmm. sort of get off of that topic and focus on their workout. Whereas other clients, may need you to stop for a couple minutes and engage them about what it is they're saying or feeling so that you can kind of process that and then get on to the next thing.
2: Well, even just knowing that for strategies, because like most of us would get frustrated using the wrong one because it is taking more energy when if you just had a little bit more tools, I guess from someone like you or just in that field, you could have a little bit more, you could have a few more options at your disposal so you don't hit your head against a wall.
1: Yes. And I think that so many trainers are so invested in their work. You know, you went into this field because you care, because you want to elicit change, because you want to make a difference. And so a lot of what I notice is many fitness professionals, your reaction when the client gets frustrated or the client's complaining or the client's got a barrier is to work harder, to give more effort, give more of yourself, you know, say more motivational things. And sometimes actually the right thing to do is to is to back off a little bit and let the client own more of that tension, anxiety, frustration, so that that feeling that they're feeling can elicit the change. In other words, don't do all the work for yeah. your client. Like it's theirs. Um, it's Not theirs. Yeah. And so we will take it on because we want to help them. We want to change them. You know, we we want to be able to demonstrate that we're good at our jobs and and help them to achieve their goals. And we don't want to lose them as clients. But sometimes the best thing you can do is hand it back over it's, to the client.
2: It's kind of funny. This is kind of timely. My wife, um, she went to like a leadership conference thing. Anyways, a big, the biggest thing she took away was like um, when you're dealing with tough clients, she's in HR. But what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. Yeah. It was just a simple reframe of that. And she's like, oh, like it helped immediately. But like that's the same thing we're talking about. It's, that's their energy. And Absolutely. you can deal with it from the outside, but you can't let it be yours. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And the topic of professional boundaries and how to manage your boundaries as a helping professional is something that I think is really lacking in the fitness industry. I think you all, the expectation level of how much time, how much energy, how much availability you're supposed to have is just egregious to me. I mean, I have worked with fitness professionals who are texting and emailing all of the time. They're on social media all of the time. They're expected to respond seven days a week you know, with detail and just to give so much of themselves when um, m- most of us cannot operate with that level of giving. We need periods of rejuvenation. And of course, there's a spectrum. Some of us like to do more and some of us like to do a lot less. But I think that anytime I've discussed, whether it be one-on-one or, or, or doing a workshop or an in-service with fitness professionals, it's always helpful to think about, you know, how much energy do I have to give away? And then what am I doing with my time outside of work to rejuvenate? How am I, you know, sort of managing what's really hard and sucking the energy out of me and what, um, what makes me feel good? What is rewarding in my work? Um, and, and how to manage that professionally. So as a therapist, that was a core part of my training. And also I'm encouraged to always be talking either in supervision or with colleagues about what the work is like and what my clients are like and how I'm feeling and how they're doing. But in fitness, I notice there's not as much of a space for that.
0: So that actually, um, I, I, everything we've talked about sort of segues into what actually was our first scripted question because we went into all this <laughs> other really great stuff. And your your work is obviously taking you into fitness. It seems like even more, but it's always been a part of it. Um, Is this kind of a natural direction, um, you know, expanding your world in this way due to the connection you have to our industry? I mean, your husband, Tony Gentilcore, is kind of a well-known fixture in our world. Mm -hmm. Or was it this interest in fitness in the first place that kind of actually is how you and Tony came to meet each other? Um, So I was curious as to which direction Where did this come from, this progression further and further into working in our industry?
1: Yeah, so the progression mostly came from in me. um, And so I'll start the story there by saying I always played sports as a young person and got into fitness. I got into strength training in particular at a very early age because my father had a gym at home and, you know, read muscle and fitness and was always kind of like working out on his flex after work. And so I was pretty (laughs) much introduced to lifting weights in elementary school. Um, And was doing it independently by age 16. When I first started to pursue a degree in sports psychology, I thought I wanted to work with athletes and do performance enhancement. And as I was completing my graduate work, I was leaning more and more and more into fitness and wellness and motivation. My dissertation was about exercise motivation. And during graduate school, I started teaching spinning classes just to make some extra money and get a free membership basically to a gym. And so as that evolved, I realized more and more that it wasn't specifically athletes that I wanted to spend all my time with. It was I wanted to practice as a generalist and work with people who were anything from elite athletes to sedentary people, but to focus on how to motivate them, how to help them to enhance their lives sort of from this positive psychology standpoint. So after my dissertation, I worked in college mental health for a while, which was fabulous because it was an opportunity to work with every kind of person. So people who were really mentally ill up to people who were like kicking ass, you know, and doing fabulous, but just needed to talk about their relationship. And so it, it just helped me to actually start implementing kind of treatment plans that involved exercise or fitness to learn more about that overlap. And in the meantime, I met my husband um, who, as you mentioned, is Tony Tony Gentlecore and is a, um, a strength conditioning coach. And so, you know, as my career is unfolding and his career is unfolding, we would be at dinner or be hanging out and he would start downloading to me about a client and we would talk about the client and, and something, you know, something that was aggravating him or frustrating him or whatever way in which the client was stuck. I was essentially providing psychological consultation. And so after we had, you know, then he started coming to me more with them, the questions, and then he would do a podcast or he would go to a workshop or do a seminar. And he would start saying like, you should actually be answering some of the questions that people are asking me because that's not my area of expertise. Like I can, I can provide my experience, but you would actually answer these questions better. So then he encouraged me to start writing articles for him and, Um, and then girls gone strong started asking me to write content for them, which was also, um, just another way for me to get my name out there. Um, and then people started asking me to come on their podcast kind of separately from Tony and, um, And so it just kind of blossomed that way. Tony and I do have our own seminar that we do called Strong Body, Strong Mind, which is sort of the marriage um, (laughs) of the two worlds. You know, I talk about psychological components of coaching clients and Tony talks about, you know, some basic assessment stuff and the art of coaching kind of stuff. But um, I think that what Tony did is kind of throw gasoline on the on the little flame that I had going. He should have.
2: You you gave him like free consultations.
1: You what, you gave, him,
2: you gave him free consultations. He owed it to you. <laughs> like, like, like you got to get, get something
0: out of free it. Free
1: because you know <laughs> we're married, so <laughs> there is that. There is that part of the contract. But um, yeah, it, you know, it kind of evolved that way. If I think about it, if I remove Tony from the equation, I would probably be on this trajectory, but it would it would look different in terms of what opportunities come my way and just how much I'm exposed to fitness. I mean, Tony has a little studio, so he's training people live. He does workshops and seminars, so he's exposed to all kinds of fitness professionals. So me being part of his life has just exposed me to so much of what's going on in fitness and what people are wondering about. And it makes me understand how I can be helpful. Um, And certainly I think probably more than a few doors have opened for me. Um, But, I, I have high confidence that I have a lot of ways in which I can be helpful and useful. And so, you know, I think that stepping into those doors and saying yes to those opportunities just allows me to get in front of people and provide service and then become kind of a separate entity than, you know, than what my husband is. And
2: you you mentioned one thing that I, it's, it's where we were going anyways, but you mentioned Tony being in a seminar and being like, "I, I would rather you answer these questions. And that kind of leads us to the conversation about trainers going beyond their scope, and and can we get into a dangerous place with some of these practices as practitioners? And just kind of your thoughts on how we navigate that end of things.
1: Yeah, and I think this is another aspect of professional boundaries, and every practitioner has limits. And so I think whenever you're in doubt, you acknowledge the limit, and then if it's and then you refer or you make suggestions. So there, it's and it's not like a black and white line or boundary. I think there's a little bit of a gray area where it is always applicable for trainers to be talking about like mindset and mental health and wellness. And you, you as practitioners who are interfacing with your client, you are seeing firsthand if their mood is depressed or if they're anxious or if they're irritable you know, you, you are capturing like really good data when you are seeing your clients. So in many ways you are the best person to say something. If you see something, I think the way in which you talk to your clients about what you're noticing or the way that you recommend or refer or suggest to them, um, is the part that you can be informed about and that you can be careful about. So could somebody get into trouble? Um, Yes, it's possible. But if you have intentionality and and you say something to your clients, like, um, or something to your client, if you're worried about them, like, hey, I just noticed um, the last like three sessions that we've talked, you've, you've seemed kind of down and not yourself. And you've mentioned that you feel depressed and that you, you know, haven't been sleeping and you've been eating everything in the pantry. And I'm just thinking like, in addition to your training, I'm wondering if it could also help to like talk to somebody about that, because- I'm always happy to talk to you, but I could help you best by us working hard together in the gym. And I think maybe adding someone who's actually a counselor could probably just add on to providing you support. And that's just for an example. But I think there's always a way to offer your support and your empathy and then also acknowledge there are limits to your expertise and then provide a suggestion for what kind of supplemental support could come in handy.
2: Well, it's kind of cool you mentioned that just because I'm with Stronger Nutrition and I I work with Stronger Fitness, but they've recently brought on, they haven't brought someone on staff, but like they they built a connection where we can actually refer out, especially for a lot of the online nutrition stuff, because as you probably know, there's a lot of stuff going on. And just even us knowing our boundaries is huge in that. And then navigating how to refer someone out. um, And you might have a really good insight on this, how to do it without, being an asshole. Cause like that can be misconstrued in a negative way sometimes, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. And I think it has a lot to do with what the professional's attitude is toward it. So if you have a stigma about it, if you feel awkward about it, if, if you think that person's crazy and you're telling them to go, you know, talk to someone cause they're crazy, that is going to come across either overtly or covertly. So it really has to do with, you got to get comfortable the same way, the same way that a, a strength coach or a personal trainer might say, hey, like, why don't you check in with the nutritionist we have down the hall yeah. in, a, in a very calm way? How can you, you know, create a little script or in a genuine way be able to communicate? I've noticed, you know, that there are changes in your thinking or your behavior or your mood that is um, that I'm noticing in our sessions together. And I think it could be wicked helpful to check in with somebody about it and whatever your language is around that. Some people have been in therapy themselves, so they have an easy way to kind of Mm -hmm. say, Hey, when I went through, when my mom passed away, I went and talked to somebody and it was, it was really helpful or like, however it applies to you. That's, that's always kind of an easy way to destigmatize because you can say that you've been there yourself. If you haven't been to therapy yourself, do you, can you connect with somebody who's in the community who, you know, I know somebody really cool who, um, trains himself or herself, and I could give you their contact information. It's good to have some referrals in your in your back pocket. Um, I have a whole lecture, a whole um, workshop that I do on how to identify mental health problems, how to talk to clients about them in a way that's not clinical. You know, it's not stepping outside of your boundary, but that is empathetic and that is supportive and that can help to kind of move them forward to getting some kind of care.
0: I actually want to, I think, I think you nailed that one. I was really interested. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I like shit, guys. guys, you're interested in more of the stuff. I can't say this enough. uh, Go follow Lisa. I always say this stuff with every guest, but again, we pull our guests on here because you believe they have amazing things to offer that's going to go way beyond what we can capture in an hour's worth of a podcast. So seriously, go follow what she's doing. And if you get a chance to go attend a seminar or, or dive a little deeper into course materials or stuff that she's got, well, if this stuff helps you, then this is why we put you on here. Uh, one of the things I think is kind of relevant, we've, we've hit on it before on the podcast, but you deal getting addictions is social media addiction, which is people are starting to talk a little bit more about it. So what your thoughts are, what's happening here? What's, what's a danger in this stuff?
1: Mm. Well, it's a tricky, I think it's a very individualized question. It's hard to make generalizations about addiction. Um, The most general thing I can say is that addiction is a relationship with something other than a person. So whether that is drugs or alcohol, sex, pornography, shopping, gambling, or the internet, um, and it's many, you know, and it's many offerings. It is choosing to engage in that behavior over talking to a friend, spending time in your relationships um, in order to make yourself feel better or to escape or whatever the case may be. So there are a lot of great things about social media, and particularly in the fitness industry, it can expose us to different people who are using exercise and performing exercise in a myriad of ways people who we can identify with, people who can inspire us, people who can just provide innovative ideas for us. And those are all fabulous things. They open our world and they help us to be better than we were. The negative aspects of social media is making us feel badly about ourselves, making us feel like less than what we really are and stagnating us or shutting us down. So what I encourage people to do is to utilize social media as a tool and the purpose of the tool is to enhance your life. So if you follow someone or you're looking at something and it makes you feel good and inspired and it moves you forward and it helps you to pursue your goals, that's the jam. If you are following something or looking at something and it makes you feel bad about yourself, it makes you judge yourself, it it stops you or stalls you or prevents you from pursuing your goals. You need to stop you need to unfollow. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've done that with clients before. Um, I've, I have a client is a fantastic fit, uh, female client,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that client, though everybody else would look at this client and go, just just think that she's perfect. This client would often look at the social media feed or uh, select a few bikini competitors or mm-hmm. fitness girls or whatever that. In her mind, she was trying to compete with. So hey, mm-hmm. we have a good relationship. So I pretty much was like listen. You got to stop following
1: these fucking. Yeah, people yeah.
0: Because this shit's really unhealthy. Good. And uh, yeah, so I have gone as far as that. Again, I think you have to know your relationship with the client. So yes. To be able to say stuff like that, but yes. yeah, and I we can even notice that in our own lives where a lot of what we see on social media, we can expose to things that are better than what we have and make us forget or not be grateful for how good we have it. So I've been very, very good about this personally. I'm very aware of it, that I'm very appreciative of it. gratitude is sort of this thing that's become a little cliche, but there's a reason for it. <laughs> I'm very thankful for what I have, all the good things that I have going on in my life, in my career. So I try not to look at someone else who's doing better and be resentful of that. And, yeah. and the other thing I really try to catch myself because we can all get in this habit is just the endless scrolling and then yeah. shutting down one program to switch over to another so go from Facebook to Instagram to Twitter hmm. and I've caught myself going through the cycle of them and refreshing and the next you know there's an hour or two hours that are lost
1: yeah. and We're
0: struggling to be productive and get things done and certainly the fitness career we want and I and I know that a lot of people deal with this stuff so well, I don't know
2: and I was even I was even thinking like because we've talked about it before it's just and how I've dealt with it even was just if I'm going to scroll mindlessly it can't be mindless like, there has to be an intention behind it. As long as I'm choosing to do it, and I think what a lot of us and Andrew nailed it, is, we didn't want to go on it for an hour, yet here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's kind of the problem that, I don't know if you've seen that a lot, but it, it seems to be n- not new, but it's happening a lot now that technology is so, it's right here, everywhere. And that's me holding a yeah. cam- uh, f- phone in front of my face, which no one can see.
1: Yes, so if you're using it to escape you know, to feel less, to avoid something, um, that is addictive behavior. You know, if it's a means to an end, so I'm going to scroll and scroll and scroll endlessly just to avoid feeling a feeling or doing a chore or, you know, being ready and present for my life. That's addictive behavior. Do we all have moments when we do that? Sure. Sure. But um, if it's, you know, if it's getting in your way, then it's something to take a look at. And I recently contributed to an article um, for a local magazine here in Boston. Somebody interviewed me about this. And I I basically parroted something that you just said, Dean, which is to have an intention before you go on. So if you notice that this is a trouble area for you, before you go on, say, what's my intention? Am I trying to see whose birthday it is today? Am I looking to see what articles are up? Do I wanna see what cool exercise Andrew's posted today? Okay, how much time do I have? Fifteen minutes, ready go. Try not to get sucked into the scroll void, you know? And then Game of Thrones when memes. time's up, time's up.
2: Like I like to look at Game of Thrones memes like the day after because they're like they've been <laughs> they've been really good lately. <laughs> but I am going for that sole
0: purpose. Just <laughs> I don't wanna scroll through. So can you guys see this?
1: Mm-hmm, I so. can see.
0: My poor, our, our audience can't see, of course. So one of my clients snuck in while I was at work yesterday and put the a, a print off sticker that says Giants Milk on a smoothie container I have. So this is premeditated. And Absolutely. for anyone who has never seen an image of me, everybody swears I look a little. A lot for anyone who like
2: doesn't porn. actually know what Andrew looks like, because we have quite a bit of subscribers, like just go look at him. And then go look at Tormund from Game of Thrones. Like it's, if Andrew had long hair and a beard, like it's, it's, it's uncanny. It's actually crazy. Like, it's not just because you're redheaded, like your face actually looks like him, which is the nuts part. Like usually it's just like, oh, every redhead looks like every other redhead is kind of a running joke, but
0: you actually look like it. Like it's not, it's
2: not, it, you really do.
0: Well, it's been a source of abuse, but especially the last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones. So I'll embrace it. I don't even know if it's abuse. I
2: think that, like, the more people talk about that, I guess I would use it as a scale of like how much do people like you? Because if I didn't like you, I wouldn't say that. Because like Tormund's awesome; like he's generally a liked character. So Mm -hmm. if he was like, if if he was like Prince Joffrey or King Joffrey, like that would be something to worry about. But you are (laughs) not.
0: I, of course, the meme now is we're a little off track of this fight, so all of the, the people that called their children Daenerys or Khaleesi are probably regretting that decision right now. <laughs>
2: that was so. a good yeah. one. Were, that was a good meme. It's true, though. Like Everyone was shocked. Like Why? They, 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 you probably need You probably had a bunch of people sign up to talk to you after that episode. Like It was traumatizing <laughs> for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was a disappointment to say the least.
2: (laughs) Now, actually, this is perfect, perfect segue. Like we're talking about negative stuff, but you frequently refer to negative bias and I guess how people tend toward negative thoughts. Would you elaborate on, I guess, the potential harm and how you approach shifting this mindset?
1: Yeah. So I typically use a client-centered strengths-based focus. So what that means is that I am on the lookout for what clients do well uh, what their talents and their and their skills are and what they love and what they enjoy and I'm trying to leverage that in order to move them forward in as opposed to looking at the deficits looking at what you know to use to use a, a phrase that I've heard many trainers say like what they suck at or where their weaknesses are and and having a deficit focus there are a, a number of reasons for that that are evidence based but one of the primary reasons is because people have a negativity bias which means they are naturally drawn to their own deficits. They are naturally drawn to negative feedback and negativity overall. So there's a really interesting study that was done in the last handful of years about marriage and what kind of the ratio is of negative experiences or negative interactions to positive interactions are to have a happy, balanced marriage. And so going in their hypothesis was like, oh, it's probably like, you know, a little over 50-50. So if you had a little bit more good experiences than bad, you're probably in a happy marriage. No, it is five to one. So if you want a happy marriage, you better have five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. Um, and I think that the findings in this research are applicable to all different kinds of relationships. So I, I think some of us have probably heard like the sand, you know, giving feedback like a sandwich, something positive, something yeah. to work on, something positive. I would say, no, you want to make that like a Big Mac because you need positive, positive, negative, positive, 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 because your client is going to focus on the one negative thing that you say, or the one negative thing that they do, or the one negative thing that happens to them in the universe, as opposed to the 15 other things. So they need help. They need you to help them underscore and highlight and leverage all the positive things that are going on to help them progress because negativity will often slow us down or stop us.
0: So I like that, actually. don't use a shit sandwich
2: with your it, clients. Yeah. Cause it's a shit <laughs> sandwich, right? It should be a shit Big Mac. I, I, actually, that's, that'll actually stick with me. I think that's, yeah. Cause you usually end on a positive, but it's like not enough.
1: It's not enough. You need more, yeah, but you and had I, a weird I'm Big not, Mac. I'm not telling people, I don't want people to be thinking that I'm saying like, make shit up or round nose. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you got to get good. You got to develop skills at noticing what is going well and what your clients are doing right because I guarantee you they are doing, they have something that they are bringing to the table and you've got to help them keep that in mind because as they're progressing and they're having difficulty, they're going to get stuck in the negativity. And in order to help them remember that they're doing a whole bunch of cool things You've got to be able to point those things back out and show them the evidence that this, this is not all bad at all. You're focused on this one thing, like the number on the scale isn't changing in the last two weeks, but you're sticking with your habits, you're coming to the gym, you're you just did a bodyweight pull-up, you know, you're happier, you're more comfortable, you're banging blown through your warm-up, whatever they are, you know, you need to develop skills, getting really good at identifying what what those strengths are, what they're doing right, and and really showing them that, giving that feedback to them.
0: I can even think of, we've all dealt with people, certainly clients, where if you say 10 nice things, but there's one negative thing you have to sprinkle in there, they will absolutely fixate. And the only thing they'll even hear is the negative thing. Right. And they'll actually blow it up in their minds and they'll make it into something bigger. So yeah, that makes sense. You have to be really careful with that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's called arbitrary inference. It's like, you know, there's 15 pieces of data. They take the one piece of data that's negative and then they take that as like, this is how the whole session went today or this is, you know, I'm, I'm doing horrible, but what about these other 14 things we talked about, you know? And so that's the negativity bias. It's part of human nature, but also clients who are stuck or frustrated or who have been round and round and round or who have anxiety are going to be even more focused on the negative it's, it's than like, the general population. It's like
2: every fight with my wife now that I'm airing out everything. It's like all these things happen. And then the one thing, it's like, you always do this. And I'm like, what? How do they turn it to?
0: that? <laughs> I'm praying she does not listen to
2: these. She's episodes. not going to listen to that part. She'll probably make it ahead. through like half. And then she'll be like, oh, oh, she was cool. And then I'll be like, I don't listen to the last half.
1: But that's the thing about psychological skills is they don't just apply like in one little vacuum. They apply to all our relationships in all areas of life. Like people are people are people. We are all connected by the universality of humanity and how we think and how we feel. And we have so much that more that connects us (laughs) than that separates us is that, you know, we talk about these psychological skills and fitness professionals understand them. They can apply them to their work and their own relationships. Um, And I think it's very easy to discuss a little bit and then to implement, you know, different things that, that we're talking about and reviewing to be able to make actionable change.
2: Well, and you were even t- talking about taking care of yourself, um, yeah. even as a trainer and I'm listening to all this stuff and like, we have a good idea of like, Oh, I should be positive, but there's some good takeaways that even my relationship, like maybe I should be more positive five times more than I'm not. Cause I, I know when I have a bad day, I can fixate on that stuff. And like you're saying, there is a, there's a negative, Bias towards that stuff. And there is implications on that, that don't just arrive at my training. It arrives at home, which then affects my training and then my, yeah. my interactions with people. And I can just see the shitstorm storm or the loop, um, just from even not thinking positively enough. And not that you should always think positive, but like you should recognize the positive more than just know that the negative is going to
0: stand out way more. And I, I know I do it myself, mm-hmm. like all the time. I yeah. am just... Picturing Dean with his little scorecard, he keeps his wallet. Yeah. Uh, okay, times I was yeah. nice, said nice I'll, things to my wife, and I'll, so, and I'll make sure she knows. That, I'll like write I it out so it's, it's documented to be an asshole. This
2: one, day. yeah, and like when we get a fight, I'll be like, look at, I have 15 things. Like, put that in your Big Mac, and then that will win the. That, that'll win the argument. Be like, I had a podcast, and and she said, like, it's the Big Mac, so you're
0: wrong. <laughs> that was fantastic that's actually the funniest thing you've ever said on the podcast by a lot well she's like
2: really good with lists so like I'm totally I'm just gonna use this is like dark psychology right Like that what they call it when you use psychology for evil
1: (laughs) but this is using psychology for good because it's gonna make your marriage happy
2: true like yeah I guess that's positive outlook you're right and
1: we're not talking about rocket science It's like dude (laughs) be nice to your wife you know, like this is very basic. <laughs> more, than you're ba-
2: more than you're mean, yeah. Be like, be five times nicer than you are mean. Like that seems like a pretty general rule, but totally. I, mean, I mean, when you put it out like that, though, like I think people will gravitate towards it probably because of your designation and, and your research, but it does seem pretty simple sometimes. And I guess we That's forget what's that. That's
1: awesome about psychology yeah. is that we can we can have an evidence base and we can be evidence informed, but that evidence often makes sense in conventional wisdom in real life. Uh, Because human beings have been, you know, around thinking and talking and feeling and communicating with each other for way longer than psychology has been a field. So, you know, when what it feels like matches with what the research says, it's pretty it's pretty fabulous. And I think it can just help us to feel a little more motivated to actually, you know, hold on to the negative thing and say the positive thing. It could just give us that one little push to just kind of bite our tongues in some moments and then be a cheerleader a little bit in other moments.
2: What is that, it goes back to that non-sexy, um, we kind of talk about that with nutrition or with mm. um, volume recommendations. It's like the answer is pretty, pretty fucking simple, uh, but yeah. people don't like that. And like you said, like, just be nicer. But like there is a, a more complicated answer to that. But like if you take anything away from that, this, like that's probably a pretty decent takeaway. I know it sounds think, like so stupid when we, I say that aloud, but.
1: No, I think nutrition coaching is such a good example of how the premise is pretty basic, but really what is so effective and so helpful about nutrition coaches is that there's a relationship there. So your client can get so frustrated, you know, and can be saying 15,000 things about this doesn't make sense and that doesn't make sense and I'm stuck this way and I'm stuck that way. And really what is going to help them to make the change they need to make, which is pretty basic is your ability to connect with them. And I mean, definitely, I think there's probably plenty of times nutrition coaches, all you can do is be like, yeah, it's really freaking hard to be in a deficit. Yeah, like, you know, you're, you're awesome and you're on track for six days and then you eat crap on the seventh day and you lose some of your progress. Like, yeah, that's a bitch. And then that you can tolerate that frustration with them and say, okay, what do we do now? You know, so the person's not alone in dealing with these basic issues. If people could just follow basic instructions and change their behavior according to basic instructions, none of us would have professions. True. True. None of us would have clients. It's all about the relationship and how you connect and how you help to support them. And in these very basic concepts, that's, that is what makes all the difference.
0: Really quick, Lisa, how are you doing on time? Are you running out or you got a little bit more?
1: Um, I have a little bit more. How much, how much longer do you guys have in mind?
0: We had a couple of quick questions that we like to throw everybody sort of at the end. So we're talking tons about psychology and we did mention uh, a few books and authors at the beginning, Mm. but are are there any books that you feel are really high quality worth reading uh, both for enthusiasts and for career fitness professionals uh, that you think would be helpful and actually any, like red flags in content that you think maybe people shouldn't get too deep on.
1: Hmm. Um, okay. So the books I would recommend are, I would say kind of outside of the fitness realm and more in the psychology realm. It, it is my dream one day to write the book <laughs> that I would <laughs> want to recommend. Cause to my knowledge, it does not exist. So, um, you know, psychology for fitness pros, um, to my knowledge is not out there yet, but, no. There are some books that I think are, are really accessible and would, be, would provide a lot of good information for trainers. One is called Positivity, and Positivity is ri- written by Barbara Fredrickson. And Barbara Fredrickson is a psychologist um, who developed the broaden and build theory. And this was um, around 2000 when the positive psychology movement was sort of blowing up. And so her research is actually on when, when you experience positive emotions, you actually are more creative, more productive, more efficient, you work better, your relationships are better than when you are feeling anxious, stressed, and when you are experiencing negative emotions. So negative emotions actually narrow our focus. If you think about like the fight, flight, freeze response, So the more worked up we are, the more we feel negatively, the more we're sort of reduced to this handful of reactions. And the more we feel relaxed and happy and creative, the more open we are. We can think outside the box. We can communicate better. We can enjoy our lives better. And so she is is a beautiful writer, but she is also a researcher and a scientist. And so she has this amazing evidence base. Her research really tries to take a, a strong scientific look at um, the impact of positive emotions on various aspects of our life, like work and relationships and basically thriving. And, um, the book positivity in particular is, is almost like, here's a book of a list of ways that you can increase positivity in your life in order to improve your performance in, in a variety of different ways. Um, so I really like that book a lot. Um, I also of course, of course I love Flow by Mihaly Chick sent me high. That's sort of like a classic, um, a classic book. If you're somebody who wants to think more about your relationship with your clients um, and how what you bring to the table and what they bring to the table and how those two unique kind of sets or of personality traits interact, um, it's kind of a hard read. But it's called A General Theory of Love, and it's it's biological psychology. Or evolutionary psychology. So it's basically it, the book begins by describing how, um, we have evolved to be emotional creatures that function best when we are in contact in communication with other people. So we are social creatures and the way that we identify process and regulate our emotional life is in relationships. And we all have learned to do that differently because of our families of origin. We all do that a little differently in our current relationships. And the way that we do that either helps our relationships, manages our relationships, or blows them up, makes them miserable um, so it's a deep dive, but it's very evidence based. I think that a lot of the information there is transferable to fitness professionals. I have um, presented like very digested metabolized versions of information that's in that book just to make it easy and, and easy to understand and applicable. But if you like to get into the weeds, um, I think that is an amazing book. It's called The General Theory of Love.
0: I also wanted to throw something else in there too because <clears throat> we like to take the opportunity to promote this stuff when we get the chance. So, uh, your husband Tony is actually coming here to Edmonton now for May 25th and 26th. Him and Dean Somerset, they oh, come yeah. together mm-hmm. to do their, uh, I guess, I don't know what they're calling it now, the ever more complete and hip
2: no, and The, shoulder can, the more completer, no. <laughs> the more complete, it's the more complete. Yeah, they, they retired the
0: old one and now they've more completed it. Um, no, I've attended it in a couple of They're such before. nerds, man. Like, they told- they're they great. So, uh, I'm going there for sure. And cool. any of the fittest professionals in the Edmonton area, you guys, this is going to be really great uh, you know, training content. So, check it out. Uh, yeah. So, and that's our way of slipping Dean Somerset's name. It's a running joke, Lisa, that we somehow put his name in every single podcast. I think we've missed like three out of like 90. So,
2: we would have, <laughs> okay
0: We would have missed it. Usually if we have a really good
2: guest, we'll miss it. So Andrew had to like sneak it in at the end. So you did well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then finally, uh, well, we need people to be able to find
1: you. Oh, super. So you can find me on my website, which is drlewisconsulting.com. And on that website, you'll basically see the three kind of sets of services I offer. So psychotherapy, which is traditional therapy, <clears throat> And then performance consultation. And then all of my um, all of my work with fitness professionals is kind of that third box of resources. So that's workshops and seminars. And then it's also doing consultations for fitness professionals. Um, So that's the main way people can find me. I'm on Instagram, Dr. Lewis Consulting. um, And I'm trying to actually get pretty consistent this summer with adding content into that. you know, that was something I was kind of slow to get to. And now that uh, I'm not teaching in the summertime, I teach at a local university, but not during the summer. So now that I'm off during the summer, I'm going to be building on that more. And then you can also find me on Facebook, of course. And I, I write articles for different online magazines or different blogs or websites. And I always try to link, you know, via social media, whenever I write something or I'm involved in a podcast like this.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, do you allow the follow option on your Facebook? Cause I noticed that's where I was able to find a lot of links to your articles. Yes. Cool. So go follow Lisa on her Instagram and or Facebook. And if you want to go a little bit more seriously, go check out the website. So thank you so much for coming on here.
1: Oh, thanks awesome. for having me. A-
0: after we talked to I mean, it was very evident. Hey, I really need to get you onto this. I need Andrew. And he, the, much- all,
2: all, he, he like always likes to pump people up, but you usually he'll like, say it casually, he, like, messaged me. He's like, you gotta see her. She's gotta come on the podcast. Like, you find, like, and usually in Kansas City, he's, like, chatting, and, like, I'm not gonna say he doesn't listen to all the presentations, but he's gone, and he was like, no, this is happening. So, like, you made an impact on him. That's pretty impressive, to say the least, for Andrew, anyways, in my opinion.
1: Well, I'm glad. I love <laughs> I love that I have something to offer the industry and something that feels actionable.
2: And Andrew's very, like, he's a stickler, so, like, you, like, you must have
0: nailed it. <laughs> it, he won't it say that really but he is pre- <laughs> it was a really great presentation Like again the attendees were buzzing about it There was a, this year was fantastic the presentations were really really good across the board James mm-hmm. Krieger was just wonderful as the keynote at the Agree. very mm-hmm. end James for such a like a smaller stature guy has just got s- such a powerful commanding voice and presence so he's really yes. super
1: yeah. yes. the whole and line it was awesome it's hard to bring it home after two days of people sitting still so he was really able to engage a tired audience for sure
0: yeah, day two is usually a little rougher because usually there's some uh They're late, over. late night, night stuff on, on day over. one. But it wasn't too wild this year. Mm, pre- that's pre- what I heard. Years, previous years have calmed it down. But uh, thank you so much for coming on here. We really appreciate it. Uh, and just stay on air for a split second. We'll tell you when we're releasing this. And for the audience, thanks for tuning in. We really
1: appreciate thank it. Thank you. I'll see you guys. Shut up and sit down.